This podcast is brought to you by www.twolinedmusichut.com. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is Muscle, and this is another Two Line Music Huts Entertainment Report podcast. And today, we have a guest. He's been here already, and he's actually back here again, especially right now in this time here. It's a really interesting time, and he's the perfect person to speak to. You know we have in the building today? We have PC Swift from the Toronto Police Service Board in the building today. What's going on, Big Boss? Nothing, man. I'm blessed. Everything is good. Uh, it's a beautiful day. Uh, nice start to the day, for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And you're working in Toronto today, or what part of the city are you in today? Yeah, I'm, I'm in Toronto. I'm uh, basically in my neighborhood, uh, either between Parkway Forest, Fairways, and just assisting if anything else happens. But that's pretty much yeah. it for my patrol today. Okay, good to go. All right, you know what? Let's not even beat around the bush. Let's just get into this, because this is like a firestorm of everything going on here, and I just want to really find out what's going on. But for you now, I just want to get a little bit of more background information too, because I know the last time we spoke, you said it was your cousin that got you into policing. And yeah. this was about 11 years ago? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Since you joined the force, what have you found change inside of the force from you actually started? Uh, I would say the one thing I definitely noticed, like, first of all, the first thing I, I probably noticed was I came from a, a mental health background. So I, I dealt with everything I did before policing was being involved with youth at risk. And it was usually mental health and dual diagnosis. Okay. So when I first got into the service, uh, to be quite frank, it was, um, I, I, w- I was not impressed in regards to how um, police viewed uh, the mentally ill or people who had mental concerns. Um, so, but now 11 years later, I mean, we've had so many things happen within our service. Yeah. Uh, we've seen other things happen in other services where officers are taking their lives. And not only that, but we see a, an increase of a lot of young individuals taking their lives as well. So there's been a huge push for us to understand mental health uh, uh, and, and, and more empathy in regards to that, not only to the public, but especially within ourselves. I've seen that as a huge thing. Another big, big, big thing, and this is one of the reasons I can actually be here today, is the fact that uh, Toronto Police, and I can say this for myself, has has given some officers autonomy to be themselves, to show the community something a bit different. Um, So the trust uh, from command to constables, I believe, just through my experience, has increased which I think is good because if you have an individual who's trying to uh, promote policing in the city and has a view from someone living in the city and now as a police officer, that can really only work for you, right? So I think they recognize that. So yeah, those are the two things I would say for sure. Definitely change. Wow. Okay. You know, right now we're in the middle of this storm right now with the George Floyd situation with the killing of him in Minnesota. It was Minnesota, right? Yeah. Okay. So did you actually watch the um, video or did you see any of the video? Yeah, I did. I was on my days off uh, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, one of, one actually was a youth that sent it to me on, on WhatsApp mm-hmm. and he's like, Swift, did you see this? And I was like, nope. Mm-hmm. So I try to kind of separate myself from stuff when I'm at home. Yeah. So I, I opened it up and I was like, this can't be real. So. Yeah. Because there was a, a just an absolute disgust uh, of what I saw, and it was only the one small clip 
And automatically, when I saw that clip, you, you go into police mode and you think, what should they and shouldn't they be doing? And, and it was a fail across the board. And, and I'll tell you this, it doesn't matter what happened or how preceded this. George could have been fighting. He could have been everything. It could have been a bad situation. But once he was on the ground, handcuffed on his stomach, yeah, that's it. Now it's now the police officer. Your job is how do you preserve this life? How do you how do you move on? Because everything is calm, and in this situation, everything was always calm. So when I watched this, I was like. I need to do something. So my first response was, okay, when I get back to work next Thursday, I'm going to do, um, uh, what's it called? Do a post, I do a video post in uniform talking about the situation. And then the second I said that, something inside me said, no, you need to do this at first and foremost as a black male who is a police officer. Yeah. And it's funny because when I told a few people this, uh, they're like, oh, be careful, you know, because you know, it could be risky and whatever. And I'm like, you know what? I have a responsibility from both worlds to say something. Yeah. So I did it from home, and it was a 15-minute video that actually went down to seven minutes. And I just expressed, first of all, and I just laid it out there. I said, anybody who agrees with this, you're either an idiot or you're ignorant. I just left it at that. There's no argument. There's no debate. You can try to debate it. You will lose. Um, and then I just went off talking in regards to how that was, how that affected me. Um, my experiences growing up uh, with police that were good and bad, definitely. Um, and really just talking about how watching all this and being able to breathe and putting things in perspective, still being angry and frustrated, but recognizing that how can I be the best version of myself in both worlds? Yeah. And knowing that, how do I portray that to the community, right? And the amazing thing about this is this is not a, a black on white issue. It's not uh, an American issue. It's not just a Canadian issue. This is now a global issue. And what I mean by that is more people are listening now. Because usually when you have it back and forth between black and white, it kind of fades out because it's like, oh, here we go again. Black people are victims, blah, blah, blah. And, and you hear that a lot, right? It's that same argument back and forth, back and forth. But when you watch this video, as much as it's a, a white officer who I, I don't know how he's an officer doing what he did, there is something human wrong with him. And you could, you could, you could see that it's almost like he blanked out and it's like, he couldn't, he, he couldn't stop. It's like, I'm doing this right to the, I'm invested already. I'm going right to the end. I think that's too much credit. I think he just didn't care. Mm -hmm. I think, and the thing is, and not even blanked out. He knew exactly what he was doing. And I think it's just unfortunate because you have people who are first upset that are watching this stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And then that, being upset turned into concern, right? So him and the other cops had so many chances and opportunities to right a wrong okay. or do the right thing. And all of them in, in whole decided not to. So then that's what I was gonna ask you. As a police officer now, 
you're in that situation. What's the right thing for an officer, the fellow officer to do in a situation where you clearly see that what he's doing is not right? Well, first of all, I would never be in that damn situation. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. But if I'm in a situation and I see a fellow officer doing that, it is not only by law, because that's a crime. That's stuff that we investigate. Mm -hmm. That's not only you're breaking the law, but as a police officer, you, you, <laughs> and as a human being, you've got you to do something. Yeah. I would have told him to get off. First mm-hmm. of all, he wouldn't have been on that long. Mm-hmm. The second that person was arrested on the floor, I'm picking him up and I'm putting him in the car. Mm-hmm. That's it. He's done. It's over. Mm-hmm. He, is, he is contained. He is handcuffed. He is by far no threat whatsoever. None. Mm-hmm. He goes in the car. So that's what I would do. But if someone persisted in regard to having to do this still, yeah. I would. I don't care what rank you are. I don't care if you would be a sergeant, a detective, whatever. If I see that happening and I tell you not to get off and you don't get off, I'm pushing you off. Okay. And that could make me not liked among a small few officers, which I don't care. Yeah. But... I can go home looking at my son and looking at my wife and looking at myself in the mirror saying, I did the right thing and I can sleep well. I'm not worried about the politics. That's a life. And that's not how we do our job. So yes, I would 100% and anyone who knows me knows that I would, if that person's not listening, I would push him off. Yeah. And do you think that the other officers that were involved were afraid of the politics? That's why they didn't get involved or what was, and this is just a hypothetical situation here. Why you yep. think they didn't get involved? So me personally, I think um, because it's seen as a brotherhood, mm-hmm. I think it's, I think the cops, the officers, even say they had the thought that maybe this is wrong. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the courage enough to speak out about it. Okay. Because the fear of upsetting that officer or looking a certain way to the other officer. So how they looked towards their officers, I personally think fueled their actions or lack of action. Right. 100%. And I'm sorry, new on the job, not new on the job. That's a tough situation to be in. (laughs) But you look at that situation, like, I, I, I haven't seen something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and as Will Will Smith said, racism isn't being um, isn't being more; it's now being filmed. That's what it is right now. So imagine That's all it. the stuff that had happened before now, because you even mentioned that you had you had good and bad interactions with the police before you got involved. All right, yeah. Give me two your good interactions and two your bad ones as a civilian, and then we're going to get into now your interaction while you're inside. Okay, I can think of two. One I remember, one, okay, I'll give you my bad one first. The one interaction I had was I was actually going to school in, in Ottawa, in Ottawa, in Peterborough, and I was, I was playing at Fleming College, and we had just finished a practice, and I drove um, one of my boys home to his house because it, it was a grilling practice in basketball. Uh, I had my, uh, my bandana on, I had my hoodie, I had my sweatshirt whatever i get into my car it's an 88 buick okay black car 88 buick not tinted whatever just an old car so i'm driving down the road and all of a sudden i recognize that there's not one but two police cars behind me so automatically instantly which is sad 
I was like, okay, 10 and 2. I have my papers. Um, I'm pretty sure all my lights are working. I'm going the speed limit. There's nothing in my car. Just, just to make sure that I at least have a good idea that everything is okay with my car, right? Okay. Um, so then I'm going down the street. I, I turn right. And then I have to make a quick left into an alleyway where my parking lot is, right? To go into my building that is over uh, a pita pit restaurant. Okay. So I go through this alley and I realize that there's three cars behind me now. And then on the other only entrance on the other side, four other cars come in. So I am so, so nervous. So all of a sudden I turn off my car. I'm sweating. I don't know what to do. And I hear someone like, put your hands out of the window or whatever. So I, I open the window and I have my hands out. And I'm like, what's the problem officer, whatever. They're like step out of the car. So I am legitimately moving as slow as I possibly can. And my, and the funny thing is, is I remember my leg was cramping up from the practice, but, but I didn't want to jerk or do anything that could be perceived in a certain way. So I'm in yeah. pain. I come out of the car, I'm limping and seven cars, seven police officers with guns. Okay. And I'm like, am I back in Chester Lee? Like, am yeah. I like, what, like what, what is going on here? Right. Yeah. So I get out of the car and, uh, they have the guns on me. No one's talking to me. There's a lady, I call her the crazy cat lady. She was in the balcony and she's like, leave him alone. He's a nice person. Like she's losing her mind. Yeah. And as happy as I was that she was doing that, I'm like, oh my God, this woman's going to get me killed. She's going to yeah. get me killed. Her intentions are good, but she's going to get me killed. Yeah. So, I'm there, and I, they tell me to finally turn around. They tell me to check my, like, you know, empty out my pocket slowly, everything, whatever. And I'm standing, and another female officer comes up to me while all the guns are still on me. And she passed me down, checks me out, takes my driver's license. And she looks at me, and she's like, um, sorry, you fit the description of this guy that we were following. And I'm like, well, what was his description, right? Yeah. And she's like, black male uh, driving an older type car. Yeah. I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, like I know that at this point there wasn't that many people, that, uh, many black people in Peterborough, but I'm like, yeah. is that it? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, but you're not the guy. And I'm like, yeah. I know I'm not the guy. Yeah. So she apologized and everything, and so on. It's like she was the only one to talk to me. She apologized. She apologized to her, just you know, miss wrong identity, whatever the hell she said. And I remember her going back to the car. She went to the car. Guns are still on me, boss. Guns are still on me. Okay. You can tell there's not a dynamic situation. I'm out of my car, right? They've checked me. I have no weapon. She goes back to her car, <laughs> runs a whole bunch of other stuff while these guys still have their guns on me. She gets out of the car. She tells everybody clear. Yeah. And trust me, there were people hesitant to put down their guns. Once they put down, once they put down their guns, <laughs> Uh, and went, I went back in my car, I closed the door and I locked the car and I just sat there <laughs> and I watched as each and every car went <laughs> and left. And then when I saw every car left, I unlocked my car and then I walked towards uh, the, the back door to go up the stairs to my apartment. I didn't even make it to upstairs. I, I sat down in, in, the, in, in the staircase <laughs> and I, I, I cramped up and I just started crying. Of course you would. I started crying. I was, I couldn't believe it. I, I was just like, what just happened here? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, holy cow, this is everywhere. Like, this is everywhere. 
And it was interesting because I knew in Chesley there was always police presence, right? Okay, you're used to it. You see them everywhere. I'm like, I know you're up, you're undercover. What are you doing? Like, I know you're here, right? Like, there was just people always there. But in this situation, I knew there was nothing that would draw attention to me besides my color. Yeah. Right? And this is not daytime, boss. This is nighttime. Yeah. I could be a white guy. This is nighttime. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. So... I remember I didn't even make it upstairs. I fell asleep in the stairway in a, in the staircase for like three or four hours. Yeah. And I never spoke about it until a couple of years later. Okay. Are, are good. You want a good one or you want to move on? It's up to you, man. No, no. Give me, give me a good one. And then I got some other stuff for you. Okay. So a good one was, so this is when everything was really like pretty hot in Chesterly. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was a lot of issues at home. I'm from a very abusive background. It was bad. Uh, and I was rebelling. I was doing things I wasn't supposed to be doing. I was uh, whatever. So I remember I went to I went to Fairview Mall, mm -hmm. and I wanted this. I don't know if you know this group called Beat Nuts. Yeah, 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 man. So Psycho Dwarf. That was my. That was my. Oh, Psycho. Oh my God. I can't sing it because it's inappropriate. But that was my. That was my jam. So I, I went to H and M, which is at Fairview Mall, mm -hmm. and I'm like, I don't care. I don't have money. I'm, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna take this. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna take it. So I was walking around the place, blah, blah, blah. I took off the, the security thing, whatever. Got it. And I left. But as I left, I paused and I'm like, do I really want to do this? I already have a whole bunch of other stuff going on. And as I went to go in, I remember this short black guy came and he just gripped me. He just, get back in here. And losing his mind on me. Losing his mind. Says, you're under arrest, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm calling the police and the police come. Ironically enough, it's the same division that I work for now okay crazy yeah it, it's crazy right yeah. so i go in there and this guy's losing his mind and i'm like i'm not even thinking about jail i'm like my mom is legitimately gonna shoot me with a shotgun <laughs> yeah. i'm like jail sure okay bring me to jail do not bring me home <laughs> so i remember sitting there and this guy is losing his mind. this is a black uh loss of prevention officer okay 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 i remember he was some kind of African descent because they had a very strong African accent, but I, I didn't know which country. So two cops come, a female and a male, and they're talking to him and he's explaining this whole situation to me. And in front of me, these two officers are like, is that it? Like, how has he been? Did he apologize? Whatever, so on and so forth. And they were legitimately trying to convince him not to charge me. Okay. Not to charge me. They ran my name. There was a few incidences in regards to like being checked, whatever. They knew I was from Chester Lee, whatever, but nothing serious, right? They're like, this is his first, this would be his first offense. So they're like, we don't feel comfortable charging this kid when he could have ran away and he didn't because they looked over the video and all that stuff. And I was like, I stayed there, yeah. right? They, he's like, nope, nope, he needs to get arrested. Like he was so pumped about this. He was, it was like, this, I, I made his year, right? Yeah. Like, a quota, whatever you want to call it. So he decided, no, I want him charged. The store wants him charged. He wants him charged. And uh, the officers are like, okay. okay. And I remember, they're like, I'm like, do I have to keep the handcuffs on? And the lady puts her hand on my shoulder. She's like, no, son, you, no, you don't. <laughs> like, we're going to walk out. I trust you. You walk out before us. Yeah. I know you're not going to run. You walk out before us so there's no attention on you, and then we will follow. Yeah. Right? So I went to their car. They followed me. They put me in the back of the scout car. They talked me the whole way. Just really talking about, like, listen, we know you're from Chester Lee, but you're better than this. Like, I don't know your story, but just, you know, you don't want to see us. All that stuff. The whole way there. So I go to my house, 
and I knock on the door and then the male officer steps in and as the door opens, I see my mom's face and it's just, what? No. right? I'm like, I'm dead. I'm, I'm dead. Just take me to jail. I'm dead. I knew it was going to happen. I'm near a door. You know what I near doors? Shoes. You know what kind of shoes my mom wears? High heels. You know what else is near the doors? A broom. I knew every single, I know every item that was going to be chucked my way or being hit with the second we walked through the door. It was a lamp she never used it, so I was lucky. So before I go in, the the officer honestly was like legitimately talking about how proud he was of me in regards to how I presented myself uh, to them and how respectful I was and how this was a mistake and this does not seem like this is your son. And I think he just had a moment, like really tried to really play it up for me, right? Um, and I thank him so, 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 so much. And I wish to God I knew their names. And then I was like, okay, bye. And I remember the door closing really slowly. And then, I don't know. I I think I woke up the next day because I had a concussion. But (laughs) crazy, crazy. But that that just goes to show that there is good police officers. And clearly, there's not so good police officers. Just like 100%. That you're going to be in, it's like, it's just like, being a part of law enforcement doesn't exempt you from every other things that happen in society. You're going to have good police officers, bad ones. You're going to have black people, white people, women, Asian, all type of sex society is going to be in the force also. Absolutely. And the thing is, when it's not even that we, we don't have a past. Like, we are actually held to a higher regard. Mm. Based on what we're supposed to do, we should know better. Mm. 100%. When I'm not in uniform... I'm still a police officer. How I conduct myself somewhere, say I get into a bar fight yeah. and someone finds that I'm a cop, mm-hmm. I'm in more trouble yeah. based on the fact that I'm a cop. You should know right? better. You should know better. And that's a fact. Cops, we should. 100%, we should know better. Do we act better? No. Yeah. Because, yes, there are a few of us, 100%, that think they're above the law. They, mm-hmm. they put on their uniform. I don't know if they were bullied in school or I, I call them locker kids. And what I mean by that is they probably had a lot of low self-esteem in high school and to gain respect, they took on, they put on the uniform um, to show their authority. I don't know what their story is. I just don't understand how certain cops are the way they are. I, I don't get it. I'm like, how do you, how are you comfortable with yourself? How, how do you sleep? How do you, how do you function? How are the people around you? What is your energy like? Like, I try to figure all this stuff out. And I'm like, you know what? That's none of my business. I need to be responsible for myself. Yeah, that makes sense. So would you say it's blatant racism or is it power tripping, a combination of both? What would you say it is, especially from an inside point of view? I think it's everything. Mm-hmm. I think it is absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. And ironic, and, and, and this is why it, it is. Like this, this, is, this is a human tra- tra- tragedy. Like mm-hmm. even if, and I'm, and I'm being honest, even if it was a white person that this happened to, it would still go global, but it, and it's a tragedy. That's why I think there's a bit of a race that has to do with it. This is my opinion, right? Okay. I, I think there's some race to do with it. I think there's a human issue where this guy is just, there's something wrong with this individual. Um, and the other officers were just too scared to say anything. Okay, so they kind of followed through because he took the lead. That's what I'm thinking. I think he was the senior officer or one of the senior officers. Okay. Uh, he had the most time on. So usually what happens is when you have the officer who has the most time on tech calling the shots, it's expected that you just kind of follow through. Got but that's you. when things are being done properly. Yeah. You see what I mean? There's a difference, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So my, I was talking to a supervisor to my, uh, yesterday, mm-hmm. and, uh, and he's white, and he's a higher up. And uh, we were talking about the video. 
And, and he said to me, he's like, you know what, Swift? He's like, if I was there, it may be okay for me to push that officer off that young man. Yeah. But if you did it, not in uniform, he's like, you could have ended up dead. For sure. And I'm like, and this is coming from him. And I'm like, that's so true. Because you wonder why people don't jump in, right? But if you're of color and you're thinking this is race, you're coming in there. The only, the only way you probably wouldn't get shot, and, and I'm being honest, is if you went to the officer naked. So they say you have absolutely no weapon. And then you yeah. jumped on them, right? Yeah. That's it. But mm-hmm. you're going in your own clothes and you're walking up to officers who blatantly have no respect for life whatsoever. Mm-hmm. What is it for you to not think that you are the next victim? Yeah. He looked calm. You know what I mean? There was no, st- I didn't see any stress on his body. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put myself out there to try to do that and be the s- second victim? Yeah. That's what these people are thinking, 100%. And if you look, his hand was actually in his pocket at one time, too. So clearly, there, there can't be danger. If you're fighting for your life or trying to restrain somebody, you're going to use all your limbs, all your might, everything. Your hand's not huh? going to be in your pocket while your knee's on my neck. That doesn't make it, any sense right there. It was not a dynamic slash high-stress situation whatsoever. It wasn't. So, yeah. And that is probably the more disturbing thing. Say it was a situation where he was fighting like crazy. Like sometimes mm-hmm. when people are out of it and they fight like crazy, you need more than just one officer, mm-hmm. right? Because it's a dangerous situation. You want sometimes you have to have more guys to control, control certain parts of the body to get them into constraints. Yeah. So I can see, say he was fighting, he was all over the place and he was throwing fists and he was punching everybody out and we got him on his stomach and then an officer puts his, his knee on his back, his yeah. mass on his back, right? and is trying to get his arms and so on and so forth, and say his knees slip down to his neck, you adjust. You, you adjust, right? Because you would know, you adjust, because we already know he's in a dangerous situation because he's on his stomach and on his lungs, and he's already going to have a hard time breathing. So we try to get control as fast as we possibly can, get him into restraint so it can be a safe situation. That was never the case, which makes it that much more disturbing. Yeah, 100% agreed. And what I really, really want to know, too, is why this case in particular has caused all of this right here. Because we've seen interaction with police where people ended up dead many of times, many of many of times, beating with Rodney King. There's been many times you've seen people got shot and all this. But why this one in particular set off everything right now? I think because... And playing devil's advocate, I think with a lot of those cases, there were gaps. There were gaps in the con- con- continuity of, in regards to the situation that happened, right? So because there was gaps, um, what can be said is, oh, well, maybe there was something else that was dynamic that the public did not see. Or there is something we can justify in regards to our powers of arrest that we had to do. Or we can, based on the situation, there were parts that we didn't see where the officer actually was threatened for his life. All these different things, because if there's parts missing, you can articulate it a certain way to go. As much as this happened, maybe the officer wasn't the right. He could have been wrong in this regard, but based on what he saw or what he perceived, this is what happened. You see what I'm saying? So that's usually usually the case, I think, where um, the outcomes are are what they are. But this muscle, this situation from beginning, to end, you cannot articulate any, any good doing. 
you cannot look at this as a police officer and said he did anything in regards to what our policies and procedures are. There is no gap. And like I said before, even if the situation was dynamic before and he was fighting everybody, the second he is handcuffed and calm, that's what you want. But once he was in a very calm manner, this officer decided this was a choice. He didn't black out. I'm not giving him that credit. It was a choice to remain what he, where he was and how he was based on getting concerns from the citizens who went from angry to concerned because this man is slowly dying. You watch this interaction from beginning to end, Muscle, you cannot justify anything. So that's why when you see this, that's why everyone is like, this is wrong. As a human being and as a police officer. So it's not like, okay, as a normal black person, okay, you'll have your theories, your concepts or whatsoever, but you have the training. So you have a better understanding of what should have and what should not have been done. And you can't even justify it. So clearly that's 1000% wrong. No. And as a police officer too, for it to go so smoothly, that's what you want. Mm -hmm. You want it to go smoothly because what happens is you arrest him, everything is good, you tell him why he's charged, you, you read him his rights, you do everything you're supposed to do, and he's calm, you put him in the car, mm-hmm. right? So then community doesn't get involved too, too much, no one starts perceiving in a certain way, whatever. It is dealt with quickly. This was dealt with minutes ago. Yeah. But it continued. Why? Yeah. Why? Why could you not listen to your conscience or people verbally saying, you are killing him. Yeah. He's saying, I can't breathe. And the thing I watch, and I, and I don't know why it was this particular scene when I watched the video, when he tried to turn his head, me, I'm thinking of myself in that situation, because that could have been me. That could have been you. That could have been a relative of mine. That could have been my kid. That could have been anybody. And when I see him trying to adjust his head in my head, I'm like, oh, my God, he's just trying to find a different position where he can actually breathe. Yeah. And, it, and it gave me shivers muscle. I was like, he is finding every he, he, because everyone is failing him now. Every single person there is failing him for whatever reason they have. And he is saying, I can't breathe. And then some idiot I heard, well, of course you can breathe. He's, he's talking. His air is restricted and it's getting worse. Yeah. It thank God he could say that, right? Because that's what you'd want to hear. But even though he said it, it was ignored. And this poor man is trying to move his neck to hopefully get some kind of air in and just yeah. like the last attempt to survive. That cru- that brought tears. That crushed me. Yeah. No, definitely. And as you said, you could see it's almost like somebody like you, you're seeing yourself in so many different positions in that exact yeah. same video. You as yep. the officer, you as a person on the ground, and you keep interchanging being between these two and say, what could have been done better? And like, holy smokes, I'm on the ground at the exact same time. So you're yep. dealing with a million emotions at one time right there. And, and, and that was it. Like, and, and it was really hard for me based on my role, right? And what I mean by hard is not, not conflicted. <laughs> it, I was actually very, very sad, right? Um, a, because of the loss of life, for sure. That could have been completely avoided 100 percent. it should have never it went from 0.5 to percent to 100 percent right not because of anything that happened but because of the decisions the officers did and did not make 
Um, I'm watching that situation as a police officer, and usually when officers watch certain situations, they you don't want to play uh, what's it called uh, Monday Night Quarterback? Is that was that the saying where you're like you're like oh I wouldn't do that and I wouldn't do this and like you you try not to put officers in that position to say that you are better than them. So we always look at situations and go, okay, how would I present myself in that situation? And from step to step, I was thinking of myself in regards to that. And step by step, also, I'm looking at how George was and, and how he was calm and everything. That's how I would be because I don't know what's happening next. So yeah. here he is probably thinking he's doing all the right thing. And he still dies. Muscle, like, what is... That, it, it almost seems it's just evil. Like, I don't know who else to say it. Like, there's, there's no explanation, nor should there ever be, nor should anyone try to explain this. Because if you do, oh, my God, you, you, listen. And the interesting too much thing, Muscle, too, is that cops who usually are like, oh, whatever, that, no, no, you know, there's got to be other stuff, whatever. Every single person is like, that is wrong. Yeah, you you could see that this one here. I've never seen so many different other races get involved yep. with one cause. I mean, you you see a couple people here, a couple, but I mean, like this is like a hundred percent of everybody is towards the same goal right now. And you can see it. that between the protesters in the states, the protesters in Canada, it's a mixed crowd right across Europe, everywhere, America. South America, you name it. Yeah, it's so crazy. Even talking about the protests, I know yesterday Chief Saunders, he kneeled with the protesters yesterday, all right? Yep. He, I said, okay, salute, that was good. But there were some people on my page that they said, listen, they think he's just doing it for publicity. This is the same sergeant that was actually, he wanted them to card and all that. It was the mayor that had to say no more card in and all of this. So they don't really believe that that was a genuine move right there. You working under him, what are your thoughts on that movement right there? I will tell you now, in regards to the carding stuff and, and how many years that goes or whatever, I think, and, and I can't speak for the chief, but I will say this, I think in any role that you have, there's growth, right? Mm -hmm. I think in any role that you have, there's gonna come uh, different responsibilities. He's got a lot of responsibilities. Um, mm -hmm. Some love him, some don't love him. That's what it is just being a police officer, right? That's just the way it is. I have people who respect and love me and appreciate me, and there's other people who want nothing to do with me, right? Yeah. Can't be worried about other people's opinions. Do I think that was genuine? 100%. And I'll tell you why I know it's genuine. Because when I posted my video, and I've talked to the chief on a personal level, I have talked to him outside of the whole policing, it's like talking to another human being. It's not talking to, you never felt as if you were talking to your superior. It was an actual real talk. To be able to have real talk with your supervisors and your command who are higher up about life issues and so on and so forth and getting encouragement from him to be yourself, I, I have nothing bad to say because I've had that conversation with myself. I refuse for someone else to tell me how I should think about someone else. If my experiences are different, they're different. So in regards to me making that video, I, I thought about all that. I thought about how would command respond to this, right? And I wasn't worried. But the reason I wasn't worried is because I knew they would back this. Okay. Right? And political or not, people can say, oh, it's political. So he's, he's not that guy. And to do that, he already knows he's probably going to be criticized by a whole bunch of people anyway. But he did the right thing because it was the right thing to do. Period. You're a black chief in a very multicultural city of 
no matter what you do, someone is always going to say something negative. Did he do the right thing? 100%. Yeah. You, can't, you can call it what you like and have a reason why he did it or didn't do it, but he did the right thing. In this situation and what's going on, this is when we need leadership to step up. For sure. Because, and, and I'll say this as a black, I can't say young because I'm 43, but as a black male officer um, who believes he has the right to say something, seeing your command do the same thing, only want to make, only want, I only want to make myself a better police officer. You see what I mean? Because now I'm like, you got me. I got you now. Because yeah. you did that. Because you know it was the right thing to do. Period. So if he didn't do it, someone would say something. If he does do it, someone's going to say something. There's always noise. Muscle, you know that. It's always <laughs> one, noise. One way, you're damned if you do, you're damned if damned you, if you don't. don't. But he did the right thing. Period. And that's what it comes down to. You being yep. a black officer, you being black first, male, a black male, and then a police officer second, just like the chief. He's a black male, then a police chief second. Yep. What kind of responsibility do you guys think you have extra responsibility to the black people or to everybody? Or what do people really, what kind of pressure do people put on you guys? Huh. Um, I don't know if I can speak for the chief. I, I, I would think that he feels the same way, but I, I can definitely tell you for myself, um, not only being a black male officer, but growing up where I grew up, seeing mm -hmm. both sides, uh, being on both sides of the coin, um, I, I think based on where I am and what I, I struggle through and how I got here to be in this position, I have, it is my duty to be the best version of myself as a black male and as a black and as a police officer, because we both know those worlds collide. Right. And it was really tough for me when I first got on because I felt like I was the token black guy on the shift and I didn't really fit in and I almost quit. Muscle, okay. I almost quit it. Eh? I was like, I'm out. I'm like, I hate cops. And that, that's after, a fact. After how long was it that you were in there where you felt like this wasn't the right place for me? Um, pretty much the first few weeks. Now, my, my coach officer was amazing, but the environment was toxic. Everyone was, people were disgruntled. Everyone was complaining about everything. And I got on when I was 32. So I've had some life experience. And I'm just like, what is wrong with your life? Like, how are you so angry? Why are you so angry at this person? Like, there were so many things. I'm just like, I don't understand why you're so angry. It was the first time in my life, my first year, that I didn't feel like I belonged. I've never experienced that before. So when I was looking to quit uh, and go back into social work or even move to another service, it was a, a staff sergeant who convinced me to stay. And the reason he said it is because he's like, your personality is exactly what we need. He's like, tough this out for this moment because we need this out there. This out there will teach us and them, period. Yeah. And it's funny because I have these talks with other officers, say white officers, when I work with a lot of the, the our, our black males and our young black males or whatever. And he's like, oh, it was easy for you because you're, you're black. And I'm like, are you dumb? I'm like, easy for me. I've been called an Uncle Tom, a traitor, a snitch, uh, uh, everything, every single thing in the book because now I have to reprove to my people that I can be trusted and I'm genuine because I'm working a, with a, a system that historically doesn't have a good relationship with black people. Yeah. So I'm like a slave to the system and all this kind of stuff. And I'll tell you now, and anyone else, you know, I'm not, I will speak up. I will protect. I will call out. 
Um, one of the biggest reasons I love working with youth is that if something comes up and I know a youth and, and say officer think he's a certain way or she's a certain way, uh, the youth will call out my name. I'm like, I know Officer Swift, I know Officer Swift. And all of a sudden everything changes. And I've actually legitimately had officers call me, asking me about a youth saying, do you know this kid? I'm like, yeah, he's legit. Like, what's going on? So they'll tell me. And then I'll, I'm like, all right, I'll give them my piece. And then I put the kid on the phone. I'm like, listen, this is what you need to do, right? Don't give them a reason to investigate you, right? And we have a real talk. And then that happens more than you think, Muscle. So me getting the trust of my community, I always have to be available because I have a lot to prove back to them. Even though I'm from there, you know what I mean? Like I've lost friends because I, but I'm from there. The second I put this on, it's all of a sudden, but now different story because I've made those connections. Yeah. How is it dealing with, because we know there's a lot of shootings and stuff that happens in Toronto. And right now, a lot of people are trying to mix black and black crime, black life matters, police versus black people, and all the issues in one. All right. You as an officer now, you go onto a, a scene now, and it's something like a shooting, something that had to do with a black individual. How does that make you feel with your other white counterparts here? It's like, well, man, another time again. Or how does that make you feel? I honestly, I, I honestly get emotional because not only do I, I'm a neighborhood officer, so sometimes like not only do I deal with the scene, I also have to deal with the aftermath. I, I don't I don't see it compartmentalize it and then go on with the rest of my day. Like when I see it, it happens and then I'm involved with the families, right? So not only do I see the situation of say a sad situation, we say like like you said, it's it's a it's a black male who was shot, probably not even probably, but it, it seems like this is the trend now is from another black another black uh young man. And they're young, boss, they're yeah. young. So I see this and I think about their families and everything and it gets overwhelming and and my whole thing is when i see this i i try to do so much in regards to showing people that our 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 young especially our young black males there are way more trying to do so good in bad situations and these select few that have become lost for whatever reason and are in pain for whatever reason that's the small majority that commit these of serious crimes right so i hate seeing that because i think that reiterates the ignorance that's already out there in regards to black males it's like see here we go again see black on black blah 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 blah. they can't even take care of their own like you hear it all the time white officers won't say anything to me no one's going to tell me no one's going to say anything to me this is what i already know this is the whispers that i hear this is when i watch the news uh, very discreetly this is what they're saying Right? But the sad truth muscle is that it's happening way too often. Yeah. Because I go to a scene going, I hope it's not a black kid. Like, I legitimately do that. Yeah. And 99% of the times it is. Yeah. So it's, it's, as you said, it's overwhelming at times. It's like, why does this continue to happen? Because I know in every culture, every race, there's all type of crimes that happen. I guess it's just with the young black males, it's just their crime happened to be on display. Clearly, there's white on white crime. There's Asian on Asian crime. There's brown crime. So it's just right now, black on black crime is one that's getting highlighted. It's just human on human crime. Everybody's just doing some sort of foolishness. It's just you guys aren't are being highlighted right now as in the black youths. Oh yeah, and, and the sad thing too is that it, it's, and people forget like, 
if a shooting happens in a neighborhood, someone knows who did it, right? Fact. If you grew up in that neighborhood, you know pretty much, if not who, who the group was who did it. So now here you have a mother who has lost a child or a family who has lost a child. And now that mother knows that somebody in this neighborhood knows who killed her son. No one says anything. So everyone's always talking about the distrust that communities have with the police. But I had a young woman tell me this at one of the guns and gang townhouse. She's like, I don't even trust my neighbor. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So I don't even trust my neighbor because someone knows who killed my son and no one's saying anything. So as much as there's a distrust to the system, there's just a distrust, period. Yeah. Right? And, and, it, and it's sad. So, um, oh, my God, what was the question again? I, I went off on a tangent there. What was the question? <laughs> it was, it was, I'm like a squirrel, man. I'm like, oh, yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> was, we, were, we were so deep in it, I just got lost into the whole moment myself also. Yeah, sorry. I just got to, yeah. So, uh, what was the question? <laughs> ask you this then. as a father all right yeah. with a black son that you're raising in the city yep. how do you tell him to interact with police you know what i haven't even had that uh haven't had that talk with him um and and he's um, he's mixed right mm -hmm. so um it's interesting he's 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 very um naive in the sense that he's young um so my speech is through action yeah. So what I do is my son's perception of a police officer is, is, is good because I show him the different things that I do. I either show him posts. Um, I don't talk about the serious investigations that I'm involved with. I'm involved in multiple. I don't bring that home. Um, he knows that daddy is always trying to help people. And the reason he knows that is because my phone is always going off and I say, hey, TD, this is a kid I connected with. I just need to talk to him to make sure he's okay. So every every day the interaction that he has with with police officers is my either myself or my or my cousin who is exactly like i am okay. so his he, he has no concerns right now but i know i'm gonna have to have a conversation with him because and and this is the thing too because you know it's mixed or not someone sees you they're gonna be like you're black that's it that, that's it i don't care if you're light skin or they say red skin whatever it, it's you're black I have cousins who are literally white, kinky, kinky hair, and then I've got cousins who are blacker than me with blue eyes. Yeah. You're black. People, the society will see you as black, and I know I'm going to have to teach him how to navigate through, through things. Uh, so what I can do with him right now is legitimately just show from example how a police officer should be with his community. And, and he sees that. And I, I don't watch the news around him either because he picks up stuff quick. He yeah. hears murder or shooting. All of a sudden, the questions start coming, right? Yeah. Um, and I keep it very simple. Um, mm -hmm. But I haven't exposed him to the ugliness of the world mm -hmm. because I, I want to make sure that he has a good frame of reference. Um, I didn't have that growing up. I had to figure that out for myself. But I wanted to see that there are positive people and good people and I always tell him before I drop him off to school, and he'll tell you this, I'm like, be kind. Yeah. I always like, be kind. And the other thing I tell him is, you have choices. Mm -hmm. When he's in a situation, like, and he gets in trouble, I'm like, TJ, you have choices here. Mm -hmm. I said, and based on your choice, I'm going to have to make a choice. Mm -hmm. But in every situation you're in, you have a choice in how you want to react to it. And he understands it. And yeah. I do it with a straight face, eh? So he's like, hmm. 
I know daddy's going to follow through if I make a certain choice. So you see him step back and breathe and then usually make the best choice. But that's how I deal with him right now. And when you, you're ready to actually have that talk, what would you tell him? It's interesting. I was talking to my wife about this and she actually brought it up because I, I, I won't lie. I avoid it. Okay. Um, um, because I'm, I just, you just get scared. And, uh, and, and he's seen, he's seen me cry a few times. I, I'm not scared to be emotional in front of my child. Like, I think he needs to see, I think young men need to see grown men cry. Okay. I think it is this whole tough being tough. That doesn't help your kid. Um, that's my personal opinion. So I, I, I know there's research, there's books. I honestly don't know how I'm going to do it, but I know I need to do it. Um, and my personality, I, I know I will be real with him, but I have to be careful that I don't scare him either. Right. So I have not been able to figure out a good way yet, but I will. I just don't know what it is right now. Yeah. No. And that's even, that's, that answer speaks a lot of volume because you know you're dealing with a million different personalities, a million different ways of dealing things when it comes to the force. You might yeah. meet a good officer, you might meet a not so good one, and you might just meet a terrible one. So yep. it's what do I tell you how you how you navigate all of these here as being a black male? That's really what it comes down to. You understand? hundred percent. And that's exactly it. And he said, there's so many different layers to it as well. Right. And so many different situations and circumstances. Uh, you really try to, as a father, you really try to uh, give your son the tools and the extra tools because he is black um, uh, through, through modeling it. Right. Yeah. My son also knows there's, there's not so good cops. I said, there are some cops who don't protect people. There are, are some cops who just, um, uh, that are just not nice. And I try to explain it, that situation I'm saying, in any job, I tell them, you're always gonna have people who don't do their job properly. Sure. And I said, in this world, you have good people and you have not so good people. And he's been able to figure out that in certain situations, like with teachers or whatever, that there are good people and good people. Um, so it, it's like these small little messages along the way, but like you said, that navigation through all that stuff, um, it, it's a tough, it's tough, it's not easy. It is yeah. not easy. Yeah, for sure. I would, I would, I believe you. That can't be easy. It can't, no, no. Your side there also. Yeah. A few more questions before I get you out of here. Oh, no worries. I'm a black male. You're a black male. Usually when they say, okay, black males get targeted by police and stuff. Are we doing something to put ourselves out there or are we just being targeted because it's more stereotypical? Okay. I've interacted with five black guys. This is what they did, so I'm pretty sure you, the six, this is what you're going to do also. Or is there a certain way that we should approach a situation? What really is that about? It's funny because, you know what? It's, um, it's interesting you ask that question because I try to ask that question to myself all the time, right? Mm -hmm. um, when I hear certain individuals and I know their backgrounds, I know why we're investigating them. Mm -hmm. And they'll be the first to go, man, you're profiling me. I'm like... Well, I won't use the words, but I'm like, listen, man, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I, I got to be careful. But I'm like, you've had gun charges. We know you, you sell drugs. We know what blah, blah, blah. And, and you're telling me that I'm profiling you. I said, you brought us here, boss. I said, your actions, I'm here. 
I know who you are, right? So those situations are very easy because that's not profiling. That is, you just keep breaking the law. But the problem with that is that when, you, when, when black individuals of whatever color or whatever age, I mean, do that, it just justifies a particular ignorance, that, ignorance that's already in the service, yeah. right? Because there is ignorance in the service. Okay. Because there are officers 100% who believe that the majority of black males in the neighborhoods that they go in, because the neighborhood probably has, um, has had a stigma for, for generations, they're going to assume that A, everyone hates them, and B, most of them are up to something. Mm. When it's actually not true. Okay. But I know that because I'm from those neighborhoods, <laughs> right? The individuals coming in being police officers, and no, no stick to them at all, some understand, a lot don't because they're not from the situation. So the good cops really try to learn that situation. And the only way you can do that is put yourself in that neighborhood, right? You've got to be a consistent in that neighborhood, not just to go there and investigate, but just to go and figure out the dynamics, Yeah. right? Make yourself present. If, if you are an officer who refuses to do that, and this is, I don't care how people take this, if you refuse to put yourself out there and learn more about the community, you're doing the community a service and you're doing yourself a disservice and you're doing a service a disservice because you're not trying. So you're allowing yourself to keep that ignorance and keep those biases to yourself and not evolve. So why are we targeted? I, I, I think it's about a, a bit of everything. A, I think sometimes we put the targets on ourselves based on our actions. Okay. I'm talking about individuals who are known to us and continue to do certain things. Um, and because of the stigma of a lot of the neighborhoods, uh, I think people are seen a certain way. Um, because we go, oh, it's a, it's a high crime area. It's a high drug area. So, you know, we just assume everyone's involved somehow, right? And I know there are people who are really trying to get out of that. And the reason we try to do that is have our neighborhood officers and have individuals go into those neighborhoods to build those relationships as hard as it may be, right? So do, uh, is there profiling uh, with some officers? I'm sure there is, right? Um, I would like to say that I hope to God it's not the majority of them. But like I said, people don't really have these conversations with me. Usually the people I talk to are like-minded. Anyone who's not like-minded pretty much stays away from me. So I can only imagine what they think, right? Yeah. But I always tell the youth I work with, I'm like, don't give us a reason to come to you. Don't give me, don't give you a reason to see this. Yeah. You've got to be smarter than that. And then when you see this and you act a certain way and justify their ignorance by being a certain way, because you are angry, you are getting aggressive. Cause this is how some people think black people deal with problems. We just get aggressive. Right. That's why we're such a threat. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm like, you got to show them something different. Uh, as hard as it is and as upset as you are, you've got to, because you don't know who you're dealing with, you got to keep yourself safe, right? So I don't know, man. Like, it, it's, ev it's everything. I, I don't know how to factually answer that question. And if I could, I think we, we wouldn't have the problems we have right now. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense. Right now, the police service, your ears are open. The community yep. is speaking right now. Where do yep. we go from here? What is the next move right now? to listen more i think this is everything i hear from the communities i work with is that we want police officers to show transparency we want them to be genuine we want them to be able to to make 
other police officers who are legitimately in the wrongdoing, make them accountable mm-hmm. and state it, say it. Don't say it amongst your friends and then when asked, you're like, well, you know, we just don't know the whole situation. Mm-hmm. No, you can't say that is wrong and then go, eh, when, when someone else asks you, right? Yeah. So here is a situation, like you said, where that happens, where we can show transparency and show accountability. I say Toronto Police Service, as much as we're not perfect, we have been one of the, we've been a few to do it, 100%. We are saying that was wrong. We are showing transparency, transparency. We are showing accountability. And from here on in, we have to keep doing that. But to do that, we have to make sure that we are that much more involved in the communities. Because the communities have a lot to say. And I think they don't feel empowered because they feel as a lot of us aren't listening. Right? It's one thing for a community to love a police officer. That's great. Because then all they want to do, and I hear it, they're like, Swift, I'll only deal with you. He's like, if I see someone else in the car and they're calling me over, I'm like, and I dip. I'm like, they don't have the reason to talk to me. Yeah. Like, but if it's you, uh, because I know you, they're like, I'm going to, I'll talk to you. And these are guys who used to be anti-cop. But if that is, if it's only on that level, nothing gets solved. Yeah. So in this situation, to see command also support the officers at the lower level, like myself, and showing that leadership, that gives the community a bit more hope that, it just doesn't end with this police officer that not only the police officer, but the, the person who's responsible for this police officer and, and can help with certain initiatives with the community are now on board. That empowers our communities now because it's not just particular individuals in the service. It's the service saying we back you. But now we have, now we're going to be held accountable for this. So it's risky by saying all that stuff, but now you got to step up to the plate and you got to have, you got to, you got to have those situations where you have to find a way to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You're going to have to have those. Sorry. That's where we are right now. You have to be able to have those conversations with, if you don't answer, if you don't know the answer, say you don't know the answer. But if people ask yourself, talk real, talk real, don't worry about politics. Don't think, don't worry about, what other people have to say about it, like, oh, you should have said that because what? Optics. I hear optics and professionalism. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Tell me, tell me what optics and professionalism means. Because I think if you don't speak it on something you should, yeah. isn't that not professional? You know exactly. what I mean? But look so, at this right now. If you look, political correctness is completely out the window. Everybody used to say African-Canadian, African-Canadian. No, it's black. Black. <laughs> Black male, black yep. female, it's black. It's no more sugarcoating. So, okay, now we know that everybody's speaking real. Hopefully, we could make some real changes and move forward from here because this is a real opportunity to make change on both sides of the spectrum. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Sorry, yeah. something happened to my screen. I don't know what just happened here, but. No problem there. Last question uh, I got. No. Yeah, no worries. I'm, I'm here, man. Don't worry. <laughs> Training. Do you guys get regular training or is just train once and you go into the field or is it something where every six months you need to upgrade? What's the deal with training on the police force? So training, it all depends on what you're talking about. Okay. Because we have multiple, multiple, multiple facets of training. Okay. We get trained in any and everything. So in, in particular, like if you, there's training all the time, all year. Mm-hmm. Um, our gun training happens once a year, but in that once a year, it's a five-year course. It's, it's five days, and you, not only do you get trained with your gun, 
Um, that's actually, funny enough, that's actually the smallest part of it. There's a lot of in-class stuff about like self-help, um, mm -hmm. a lot of mental health now. A lot now we are really pushing on anti-racism. Anti okay. um, we, we push on that a lot more now. And to be real, there's a lot of officers that go, you know what, this is needed. And some mm -hmm. officers are like, oh, here they go, telling us that we're racist again and blah, 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 blah. And you have that, there's, they're just not open to that. And we're not, and I talked to them like, no one's saying that you're a bad cop. This is just helping you to be a better cop and recognizing what is out there and the perception. Why are you taking this personal? I don't understand why cops take so many damn things personal. I don't. This is not a reflection of who you are as a person. But when you put on this uniform and you go into those neighborhoods, you have a better understanding now of what their struggle is, not only within, but with us. How does that not make you a better police officer? Right? So we have training of every sort all the time throughout the year that are mandatory. And a lot of, our, I've noticed now, a lot of our mandatory courses have to do with uh, community relations For and sure. anti-racism and all that stuff. And as it should, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of stuff going on. You have to understand the issues and the concerns of the people that you are policing, 100%. And not even policing, the people that you are serving. We always forget that part, yeah. right? To serve and protect. <laughs> serving is so many different things. Serving is building those relationships, being there, being uncomfortable. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So, yeah, so I don't know if I answered your question, but we have... 100%. Okay. 100%. Your last question for you here. What's the most dangerous situation you've ever been in as a police officer? It's interesting. It's just like when people ask me, like, what is... People ask me this all the time, and you know what? I don't know. And I can tell you there's been multiple times. There's been okay. times where guns have been drawn. I, there's been times where there's been fights. Okay. Um, but it's, it's, it's weird because as a police officer, um, we are able to compartmentalize so many different things because we see so much and we deal with so much all the time. Um, we have situations where we're in fights. We have situations where it was a messy arrest. We have situations where something disturbed us, but we compartmentalize everything so we can keep going. So... To answer that question, honestly, Muscle, I have to think about it because I, 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 really, I really, really don't know. And, I, and the reason I say that, too, is because I know that there have been serious situations that start off this way but then end up this way because of my approach to it, right? So I've been in potentially many high-level situations that we've been able to bring down just based on the approach, right? So I'd have to think about that. I would definitely have to think about that in regards to that. But I know there's been gun stuff. Okay, so have you ever had to unholster your gun before? Oh, yeah. So with unholstering your gun, anytime, okay, so for instance, if like, there's a break and enter in a house, right? Um, you think about it, the person who's in there could have tools, tools could be weapons, whatever. You clear a house, you're clearing a house with your gun because you're going into a situation that is unknown, right? Mm -hmm. And you know that this person could have, potentially have weapons. Anything mm -hmm. where there are any indication of weapons, we always make sure that our gun is ready. If someone is running around with a hatchet or a cutlass, like, listen, we, have, we make sure that, and I'm telling you now, with, with, we are more afraid of knives than we are guns. Okay. And, and the reason for that is um, with guns, you can shoot and miss, like no one's a whatever, right? But think about where you are with a knife. If I'm here, and our best don't uh, protect against knife stabs, right? It'll go through. So... If we're in close contact with someone and I'm trying to wrestle with him and all of a sudden his hand flips and then all of a sudden he has a knife, 
if he hits the right place, I'm bleeding out, right? So that's why you always try to keep your distance as well. But yeah, anything in regards to there's possible weapons, we make sure we have our guns ready. Not always out. If we're clearing a house, our gun is out. Yeah. Uh, but in the public, if we don't, if we know there's, if it's suspected that there's a gun, we don't draw yet. If we see a weapon, we draw. Exactly. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So. Makes total sense. Listen, before I get you out of here, the floor is yours. Anything you want to say to the community, anything right now, the floor is yours right now, Swift. Uh -huh. um, I think with everything going on, it's very easy to get lost in our emotions. I think it's, it's very easy to um, go onto social media and, and just anything you're feeling can be justified with social media. So if, if you hate every cop, you can find on social media, media reasons why to hate cops more. Um, if, if you hate black people, you can go on social media. You know what I mean? Like anything that you are feeling can be justified through social media because that is your view and that's what you're looking for. As, as human beings, um, no matter what your culture is, background, religion, um, political status, socioeconomic status, you name it, um, when you're dealing with any situation, I ask you please to, to look at everything. Um, ignorance is narrow-minded, right? And as much as you think you have a cause, if you are completely narrow-minded, you are just as ignorant and, and you are not a, 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 um, a solution to the problem. You are actually still continuing that problem because you refuse to see something different. And as black people, we have to struggle to get to where we are, and more so our ancestors, because people had a significant view of who we are. So moving forward, I'm just saying always try to be a better version of yourself. Let our ancestors, everyone know that the work and sacrifices that they did and the sacrifice that George, uh, that George Floyd had wasn't in vain. Let's strive to be better versions of ourselves. And what I mean by that is educate yourself, listen, feel, voice, definitely voice, empower yourself, but see a whole picture. Do not allow ignorance to create hate, which then creates violence. That never ends up with some kind of peaceful resolution. It never does. I have never seen it where a war or loss or violence has led to something where it's been complete peace and bliss. Nothing. It's just loss. And then you rebuild. Um, I don't know when this is going to be aired, but uh, just remember there's a difference between individuals who are protesters and individuals who are, are just want to riot. Two very different groups. All right. Uh, yeah. So far, what I've seen with protests, as, as frustrated and angry as people are, I'm seeing people together doing it peacefully, voicing their word. That is power in itself, without violence, power. Rioters are opportunists. I have, I have no respect for them I, because the reason I call them opportunists is they find a situation like this that is so meaningful and they use it in a way that benefits them. You are not for a cause. You are for yourself. I have no place for you whatsoever. Like, if this happened to my relative, do not use my name to justify your ignorant, selfish actions 
by destroying property and hurting people because of your cause. There is no cause. So people out there recognize the difference between protesters and rioters. And yes, our rioters are not just black individuals. If you look, it's everybody. Yeah, right. 100%. Do not allow yourself to be ignorant. Look at the whole picture. And please, please just be safe. That's it. Yeah. Uh, that's all I got. That's, that's all I got. Thank great, you, man. Great, great. Thank you so very much. And if they want to get in contact with you for any reason whatsoever, leave some contact information. Yeah, you know what? Um, I, I, as much as I have a Facebook account, I'm very, I'm very um, active on Instagram. And the reason I am is because that is the best way for a lot of my youth to, to reach me if they don't have phones, right? They just need to find Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm active on social media as TP Swift D. Um, uh, my, my page is public. You don't have to follow me, it's, it's, uh, but it's open there so you can see what I'm about. Any questions or concerns, please send me a DM. I will get back to you 100%. And let's have those conversations. Let's have those uncomfortable conversations. My, my virtual door is legitimately open. Um, and I want people to feel like they can have a voice and that there's an officer that's willing to listen to them. It's exhausting, don't get me wrong, but I know it's the right thing to do. So best way to reach me would be through Instagram. And thank you for taking the time to listen. All right. Thank you, actually, for actually sitting no in a time like this right now where we definitely need to speak to you and see from your point of view. And we could give you my point of view also. We could have a discussion to where we yeah. are. Yeah. You understand? Swift, it's always a great conversation whenever we connect. Stay safe. Continue doing all the good work out there uh, and all that good stuff. All right. All right. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much. Take Never. care. Never a problem. Well, ladies right. and gentlemen, this is Muscle, and this has been another Two-Line Music Cuts Entertainment Report podcast, and we are out. This podcast is brought to you by www.twolinedmusichut.com.